I ended up getting on drugs and I started using, you know, as a way to actually, it was recreational at first. It was never intended to be something that I would be addicted to. It numbed the pain from the abuse from my mom. It numbed the pain of the abuse from my brother. It just numbed all pain, so it became my best friend. I had 16 charges, three cases. I was all over the news. When they finally got me, I had committed a terrible crime. My victim almost died. I'm back in jail again. I was reading a book called The Unseen Essentials by James P. Gills. And in that book, there was a guy who had messed up his life almost like I did. And there was a part where he was being introduced to Jesus Christ. So in this cell, I kneeled down on the floor, I put up my hands, and I repeated, Jesus, if you would come into my life, be my Lord, be my Savior. Well, Veronica, it is an honor to have you on the channel today. For the people who may not know who you are, who maybe have never seen you, could you just introduce yourself for the people who are watching? Yes, I'm Veronica M. Craig. Um, I'm a mother of three children, born and raised in Florida. I um, I reside now in um, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and um, I just love, I love new life. I love being able to be able to be alive because I was once dead. Mm. Veronica, tell us about your testimony with mm. Jesus starting with your childhood? Well, um, from a child, I, I was abused by my mom physically. I was abused by my brother sexually, and I was bullied in school. So I dealt with a lot of pain and a lot of abuse in my, in my early um, years. I would try my best to uh, display that pain through running track. I ran track in, in middle school. So through running, I would um, get out a lot of frustration, but there was still a lot of anger on the inside from the abuse of being beat um, by my mom, sometimes um, with stenching cords left bloody on the floor and just didn't feel a lot of love. And so I was just trying to find my way in life life because of the abuse of my mom I was so angry I became violent myself and so um, in middle school I ran track and um, I um, got into a altercation with a young lady who bullied me and through her bullying me um, I want to say the enemy put a thought in my head and told me to cut her and so I followed through on that thought and I cut her in her face so I was kicked out of school um, in middle school, and I felt like a failure at a young age because because of, of me cutting her, I was actually not able to run track, which was really an outlet. And so because of the uh, extent of the crime and what had happened to her, I was placed in a juvenile detention center, and I would have to do um, what they did called 21 days. And after being released, I was placed in a girl's home in Titusville, Florida. You know, and I was removed from my mom's home, which was not a bad thing, actually. You know, but then I was... Um, placed in this uh, level eight program. And I was told that I would have to complete the program before I could be released as a um, consequence to the crime that I committed. Right. So I was placed with other troubled teens. How old were you at this time? I was like about 11 or 12. Wow. 
I left the program because I was told that, and I'm a runner, so I was told that you, you, after 30 days, if you show good behavior, then you will be permitted to leave. So I was on my best behavior, and I did everything they told me to do. And after 30 days, I was not permitted to leave, so I ran. And um, through running, you know, I, I was very promiscuous because of what had happened, and you know, through my brother uh, violating me at a young age, and I left the program with some guys. You know, they would call up to the program and they would, you know, solicit the young ladies that was there. So they, you know, it was something that I was uh, not familiar with that were going on. This is at 11 years old? At 11 years old. Wow. I left that program with them. And of course, we went to the motel and, you know, I needed shelter. But I knew how to do hair. So God gifted me with ability to do hair. So I would use that gift to find shelter, to be able to support myself up in Titus. I um after running from the program, of course, they got a warrant out for my arrest. I had left with two other girls, and um, it was myself, a Caucasian girl, and another African American girl. And because it was a black neighborhood, we kind of stuck out like a sore thumb. So we ended up having to leave the Caucasian girl at the park. I never knew, you know, what transpired, you know, after that, after leaving her or what happened to her. I was just looking out for my own best interests. So I had a boyfriend that I, you know, used to date when I was in middle school, a lot older than myself. Based on the the law, it would have been statutory rape at that at that age. But me, I just thought it was love, you know, somebody to take me in when my mom and my brother abused me. So that boyfriend was the one that actually came to Titusville and got me when, you know, I called him and let him know I had run. So we made it back home in which was Clewiston, Florida. And by going back home, he knew I had a warrant out for my arrest. So I would eventually have to turn myself back in and go back to the program. In this program, at the age of, you know, so I was like 12 or 13 when I first went. Then by the time, you know, um, I went back, I wouldn't say I was 15 you know, because I had to do the program. So at the age of 16, I was in this program and they offered for us to take our GED. And so I took the GED and I passed. After I completed the program, I was released. So I went back and I lived with my boyfriend. I never went, went back home. Um, so living with him and not knowing that I had passed the GED, I enrolled back in high school, went back to track. And so I'm going to try to get my life back on track. Now, Veronica, did your mother ever try to reestablish that relationship in this time? She did, but I hated her. Mm. I, you know, I didn't want, I want anything to do with her, you know, being abused at that age. And at that time, I, you know, I felt that she knew my brother had molested me. I wasn't protected, you know, so I, I didn't want anything to do with her. That's why, you know, going to the program was actually a good thing. Yeah. So I was able to be away from her. And then going, you know, back to the program, completing the program, moving back in with that boyfriend. Now I have no, you know, I have no reason to go back to live with her. Right. So and I wasn't obligated to because I've committed I did all the uh, the necessary requirements that was needed to uh, finish as far as judicial system. So when I moved back in with Charles, which was my boyfriend, I moved back in with him. I, like I said, I, I went back to high school, started back um, running track and I never get it was this uh, Friday. And we were supposed to run against my actual high school that I ran with. Um, 
when I was home, the reentry counselor, because even though I had finished the program, they still gave me a reentry counselor, someone to make sure that, you know, I was staying on the right track. And so the reentry counselor came and he says, you're no longer um, permitted to be on the campus. You are a high school graduate at the age of 16. So at the age of 16, you finish school, what are you going to do with your life? Based on the law, I'm actually an adult because I was finished school. So this led to me getting into the drug arena of life. Because I live with Charles, I had no parental supervision, no guidance. He was a boyfriend. And so we would all be in what we call the alley. And the alley is where they sold dope, they did drugs and everything. And I'm young, I'm 16 years old, I'm green, I don't know anything. So I see a transaction take place. And this transaction was like a drug transaction. And so I see money exchanging. So my curiosity got the best of me. And the guy that made the transaction was actually my boyfriend's sister's boyfriend. And I asked her, I said, what, what is he doing? And so she, you know, she was like, oh, he just getting money. So I was like, ask him how I can get money. Mm. I was told what I needed to do, which was to get $50 so I can buy drugs. And then he would show me, you know, how to cut those drugs up. And he did. And so I started selling drugs at the age of 16. Wow. First job. <laughs> and so um, that's what I did. You know, I did hair and I did drugs and, you know, sold drugs. I wasn't on drugs at this time. But in that type of environment, you are introduced to all types of people, broken people, murderers, rapists. That's, it's a whole nother world. And here you got a young girl that ran away from home, went to a program, and now I'm in the streets. Totally unfamiliar area for me at this age, but I liked it the money. And because of, you know, being cute and pretty and everything, you make money. But then I met who was later to be my daughter's father. We committed a crime and him and I were what we call Bunny and Clyde, you mm. know, never to know that he would actually become my daughter's father. And we started to date. I left my first boyfriend. He was my age. So, you know, you want to be with someone your age. But he was violent. He was abusive. It's like I went from my mom's home to the streets and to the arms of a man that beat me, you know, just as bad as my mom wow. at the age of 18. And it was so bad that I was pregnant. I went into the doctor's and I had a black eye. And the doctor, I never forget, he got up, he closed the door. He said, are you in an abusive relationship? And I dropped my head. And then he said, I don't know what type of man hits a woman. He said, and then I don't know what type of man hits a woman that's pregnant with his child. He said, but if you won't report him, then I cannot be your doctor. He says, but I'm going to refer you to someone that could be your doctor. And, you know, I, I wasn't going to put him in jail and I wasn't going to do that because the rule of the streets is, you know, snitches get stitches and, or ditches. And I just didn't want to be the baby mama that, you know, had her um, baby's father locked up. Right. So from there, I just just it was like a never ending spiral. I ended up getting on drugs. And I started using, you know, as a way to actually, it was recreational at first. It was never intended to be something that I would be addicted to. My first time, you know, it kind of, it was like a feeling that it numbed all pain. 
It numbed the pain from the abuse from my mom. It numbed the pain of the abuse from my brother. It just numbed all pain, so it became my best friend. And this was heroin or? It was crack cocaine, crack cocaine. and powder cocaine. Mm. You know, I started getting high on my own supply. At the age of 18, I um, committed a crime, and I actually, it was a burglary of a dwelling. Me and a girl, we had stolen a TV, and we could not make a sale for the TV. And she told the police that I was with her. I was picked up and put in jail. The consequence for that crime was a year and a day in prison. So I was sent to the prison for the first time. At this time, at the age of 18, I'm, I'm gone. I, I'm out there. I am, I'm addicted. It's like I'm trying to find my way, but I keep losing my way and I'm spiraling downward. And so it was just like a never ending battle, like just drug. I lived to use and, and used to live at the age of 18 and went to prison, got out and I did what was familiar, got back on drugs. In 2000, out there on drugs, I had met my son's father, and I ended up getting pregnant. And at the time, I didn't know I was pregnant, but I, of course, it was another charge that I had committed. And this is a second second child? This is my second child, my yeah. son. I actually didn't know I was pregnant at the time, but I had committed a crime, and it was dealing in stolen property. And I would not tell who I had gotten the items from. And so because of it, they put it on me. And how they found me was I was trying to resell some baby wipes to someone and come to find out it was her child wipes. Wow. So the guy had broken into daycare. And unbeknownst to me, I bought, you know, giving him drugs, like just street things that we do. I gave him drugs for the items and I would go resell them mm. to get more money. And I was picked up and um, I bonded out of jail. Being a fast talker, you learn the, the, the ways of the street. I had a bondsman that I had befriended and um, she knew me, you know, family bondsman or, you know, like that. Well, while I was in there, there was a, a lady in there and she was like, she had a pimp. So she was like, if you can get me bonded out, I'll bond you out. I called the bondsman and I told her, I says, listen, I got somebody needed to be bonded out. So sure enough, I got bonded out through her pimp. He, he got me out. And so now I'm out of jail on bond. Of course, you got to go back. And I'm back in my addiction, back using. Well, it was like today I needed to go to court. And um, I, didn't, I didn't go. I didn't go. And so my baby daddy, at the time, I didn't know I was pregnant. He said, um, you didn't go to court. And I was like, uh, no, I overslept. I want to just back up. I was in contemplating suicide this particular day. There were pills in the house. You know, he was like a, a Fred Sanford kind of guy. He would just pick up junks and, and, and things like that. So I wanted to end it all. I just wanted to die. Cause it was like, this, this is what I'm for. This is what I'm here for yeah. to use crack and just to be out here selling my body. Cause at that time I had engaged into prostitution as a way to support my drug addiction besides breaking in and doing so many different things. So I just wanted to die. And I would never forget. I, I had wrote the suicide letter to my uh, son's father at the time. And, mm. and I never forget. I looked over in a mirror and I felt something on the inside. Didn't know I was pregnant. And I laid down, and that's where I overslept. And so when he came, he said, you didn't go to court. No, I, I, I didn't go to court. So I'm there, standing there with him. And 
I said, you know what? I'm just going to go turn myself in. So I go to the jail to turn myself in. And I know I, when I turn myself in, I'm thinking I was supposed to do four months in the county. But because they had already put a bench warrant out for me, they told me I would have to do a year in the county jail. God had a plan. When I did um, get the one year, I found out I was pregnant with my son. That was September um, 23rd. 2000 when I was released and I had my son on September 23rd 2000 I got out September the 28th five days so there was no drugs in his system he was just a clean baby and so when I had him this was like a, a change for me I wanted better it was like a desire for change it it has to be better than just doing drugs and so after I did that one year in the county jail I put myself in a treatment facility it was called Panda, Pregnant and Addicted. And I called from the jail and they said, um, we will see if we have a bed. And if you approve of the program, I did my assessment while I was in jail. I was serious, because who does a year in the jail and then want to go into a treatment facility? But I did, and I was accepted in the program. And I did the program, I did everything I needed to do. Um, while in the program, they asked you to do a goodbye letter to cocaine. Hmm. And uh, that was difficult for me because cocaine was my best friend. So I, I kind of rebelled against that one. And I'll never forget, I sat to the table and I wrote the letter, but I had a reservation. I said, the only way I would ever have to use drug, crack or anything again, if somebody would die that I could, you know, a pain that I couldn't deal with the normal way. Or That would be the only way you would stop. That's using. the only way I would ever have to use drugs again because oh, I'm done oh, now. Got it, got I'm it, got done. It. I'm, I'm completely done. I got, a, I got my son and I'm going all in, you know, mm. and I did. I completed the program. They taught me how to budget. They put me in an apartment. I got back on my feet. I left all the, the how they say, change people, places, and things. I did that. And so I got my son and I'm off crack and I got a job. I actually started working at Walmart and I worked my way up almost to assistant manager. My goal was to be a store manager at Walmart. And so I'm good, you know, I'm, I'm every day I'm just doing the right thing. I met my um, ex-husband, I wanna say six months after I got out of the program. And so knowing that I've lived on the street and I've, I've did drugs and it was kind of difficult for me to want to share that with somebody you want to live the rest of your life with. Cause it's kind of embarrassing, you know, and him, he was in the military. He was a never did drugs kind of guy, a correctional officer, you know? Mm. And so he took interest in me. And to me, that was like, wow. This kind of person could like somebody like me because I had a poor self-image of myself at that time. And so six months and I, I told my mom, I never forget, because at this time, me and my mom, we don't have a good relationship, but she's still my mom. Right. So I would talk to her about things and I never forget. I, I said, Ma, I say I need to uh, share something with him and I, I don't know how to do it. And she said, well, if you don't tell him, somebody else will about my drug history and prostitution. And so I told him and it amazed me because he says, well, that's what you did. That's not who you are. So my heart just opened up to him like, this is the guy, I, I, I love him. And I did, I, he became my God. In 2007, me and him, you know, we lived and we did everything. But in 2007, my life took a downward spiral again. From 2000 to 2007, I was okay. 
In 2007, my grandma died. And the reservation that I made, the enemy came in and he came to check in. Hmm. Then after my grandmother died, then my daughter's father, the one that was abusive, he was murdered in Miami. More pain. And then if that wasn't enough, I didn't want a baby. I had actually enrolled in college. I'm trying to get my life back on track. I wanted to be an addictions counselor. And so I'm in college and um, I find out I was pregnant. And so because of the two deaths and then the pregnancy, I came under this deep, deep depression. It was like this heaviness and I couldn't shake it. It was like I wore it like clothes every day. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. I had my daughter, July 28th. And this is your third? My third child. Yeah. And I did not know that morphine would trigger my addiction or whatever pain meds they gave me. After I've had the baby, because I got a cesarean, I'm laying in the hospital and I feel like I use crack. And I'm like, why am I feeling like this? And when the nurses is coming, I got this bad attitude. Like, it's just like night and day. My personality like automatically changed back into that person that I was on the street because I was not a nice person on the street. And so I could not put two and two together. And after my grandmother died, the enemy bombarded my mind. Go use. I got the efforts. What's it, what is to stay off drugs? Why does it even matter? What do you got to show for it? And I just threw up my hands and I surrendered. And in 2007, I relapsed. I was worse in 2007 than I was when I ever started using drugs. Mm. Oh, the, the enemy was trying to kill me. From the time that I relapsed up until the time that I was arrested, I had 16 charges, three cases. I was all over the news. When they finally got me, I had committed a terrible crime. Well, it was a robbery with a weapon. My victim almost died. I'm back in jail again. Now, Veronica, mm -hmm. at this, right before this happened, mm -hmm. you were married? I was married. I left, I left everything. I left my daughter, I left my husband, I couldn't stay. I know what I was like out there on drugs. I was nothing nice, I was a beast, I was evil. Anything got in my way, I ran over it. I had no love. Mm. So the best thing for me to do was to leave. And my ex-husband, he did, he brought the baby out. He didn't understand addiction. He's never been on drugs, you know. He brought the baby out. And I never forget, there was this one day, they were in the car. And my baby was in the back seat. She was eight months at the time. And he says, come home. And I said, I can't. I said, you don't understand. I can't stop. I got to be stopped. And I looked in my baby eyes and I had to turn my head because the demon of addiction had me. Hmm. And I knew it. And it was either I was going to kill or be killed. That's the point where I was at. Where it took me was robbery with a weapon. You know, and here I am, back in jail again. And now this time I got three babies. I done messed up again, and I'm, I'm just hopeless at this point. There is no hope for me. I don't, I don't care if I live or die. And so I was in jail. I didn't know if my victim had lived or survived at this time. I didn't know anything. And there was a incident that transpired in, in jail while I was there waiting to be sentenced and everything. 
And I was having an altercation with another, it wasn't an inmate, another person that was in jail at the time. And one of the guards, she said to me, why y'all, why y'all, you know, she was like, why are y'all going back and forth? And it was almost as if my head went around on my neck because I turned around and I said, anybody can get it. You can get it too, take your badge off. And I threatened to burn a house down when I got out of jail. Which transpired to a life-changing event. They took me to confinement. And while in that confinement cell, the best thing that ever happened to me. I was reading a book called The Unseen Essentials by James P. Gills. And in that book, there was a guy who had messed up his life, almost like I did. And there was a part where he was being introduced to Jesus Christ. So in this cell, I kneeled down on the floor, I put up my hands, and I repeated, Jesus, if you would come into my life, be my Lord, be my Savior. And I heard the verse, voice of God say, forgive your mom. Ooh. I sat on that bed, I rocked, and I cried, because that was something that I did not want to do, because the pain was so deep. So it was no more unforgiveness for me. It was a, a root of bitterness that I had. And I never forget saying to God, because now I knew it was the voice of God. Now, let me pause you right there, <laughs> yes. though, because before that, mm -hmm. did you have any relationship? Not not relation, because we obviously you didn't have a relationship with yeah. God, but did you have any idea of who Jesus was? Have you heard of Jesus? Because now you're hearing this voice, you're hearing about Jesus. Like My grandfather was a pastor. I seen my grandfather pray for my brother, and my brother was healed. But having a relationship, you know, not really. So that was about it, but never just like any relationship. Hmm. But I knew it was real, you know, and then I knew that my uh, daughter's father, the abusive boyfriend, his grandmother, uh, she was bedridden and she would be on her bed with her Bible all the time. But I didn't nothing like right. what I had experienced in this cell. So. When he said, forgive your mom, I knew I knew it was his voice. I didn't need anybody to tell me that this was God's voice. It was like, you know this is God. But it was so difficult. And I just, it had to be the Holy Spirit. Because I say, God, if you will help me, I will. Mm -hmm. And it was like he was saying, I've been waiting on you. It was like a liquid love from Emmanuel Vane's, you know, it was something that just came on the inside of me. And I had this peace. It was indescribable peace. And it was so amazing because after the experience of him telling me to forgive my mom, I asked the guards who had taken me down in the confinement cell, because I didn't go down in that confinement cell, you know, easy. I was cussing, kicking, and screaming. I was indignant. I was just so nasty. And I asked one of the guards, I said, could you just take me on the wreck, y'all? I didn't know about worship and praising God, none of that, you know? So he, they took me out. Because I was so rebellious and so angry, so violent, they had me what was called two-man deputy. In order to be moved on the compound at all, it had to be two deputies. If they didn't have more than two deputies, I couldn't be moved. I had to be chained. A chain had to be around my waist and on my hands because I was violent. And so they granted my wish. They took me out on the wreck yard. And while on the wreck yard, I threw my hands up 
And I said, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And the tears just went to flowing. And I had had an encounter with God in a confinement cell. And so from that time, they, you know, they took me back. I never forget the guard. He took me back down and he looked at me. He was like, are you the same woman that we we took up? You know, we went down to the confinement. I was like, yeah, because I'm looking at him like, how could you not know me? Hmm. You know, I realized now it was a transformation that had taken place inside of my soul inside of me because my countenance was different. Wow. I, my, my attitude was different, you know? And so that began my journey with Christ. While in the confinement cell, eventually after I want to say maybe 90 days, they let me go back to population. I would talk to God in the confinement cell, dreams. He would give me dreams and things like that about my own personal life, you know, showing me I was in bondage, a lot of things that, you know, I needed to be delivered from. And so going back up the population, I had had all this peace and quiet down in confinement. I didn't even want to be around the other women. I asked, could I go back to confinement? Because it was like I was starting a relationship. I didn't understand the Bible much, but there was a scripture. And it was, uh, I think, Romans 5.12, where he was saying that sin came through one man. Because I couldn't understand how I could be a sinner as a baby. I just didn't get that. But... He gave me that scripture and it let me know you inherited it. Okay, it was like, okay, this came from God because there's no way I'm that smart to know that, you know? So then while I'm, I'm still in jail, so now it's time for me to be sentenced. And because you still, even though I accepted Jesus, I still have to pay for the crimes that I've committed. Right. And I, I hurt two people. I, did, I committed a lot of crimes. So God was right there with me through the whole thing. I was sentenced to five years in prison, five years and four years um, on probation after the completion of prison. So while going to prison, God, it's like he just had this thing mapped out for me. I went to what they call a uh, faith-based dorm. There's a prison, but there was a faith-based dorm. Mm. It's everyday Jesus. You wake up, and you're in the Bible, and, and it's, it's a program at the program about, about faith, about walking with God. While I was there, the brother who molested me, he died. It was so strange to me. It was like that heaviness that I had felt that was over me, that depression, it was this one day where I felt this heaviness. And it was like, what's going on? And I had, by this time, I'm learning to know God's voice. The Holy Spirit is talking to me. I just made it to prison. There's no way my mom has the phone where I can call home, but she's working on getting it done because I'm still talking to my mom. We don't have a relationship yet. I've forgiven her, but she don't know what has transpired. So while I'm in this dorm, I heard the Holy Spirit say, call home. I pick up the phone. My mom says, because she's under the impression that they, they have already told me that my brother has died. But they never could find me, even though I was right there in the chapel the whole time. So it's like God covered me. And I know why. Because had someone else told me that he had passed, I probably would have acted out violently. Because I'm not changed yet. I'm still angry. Still a lot of things to work out. Anyways, when my mom told me that he was dead, I guess because of the molestation, I don't know. I just felt like somebody was ripping my heart out. And I had dreads. I was growing dreads in my head, and I was combing each one of them out. I never forget. I told God, I said, if you'll take away the pain, I'll serve you. 
And it's almost as if a miracle happened because the I laid down and I woke up and the pain was gone. So I'm in this dorm and it's like God is just walking with me. He's just helping me to get rid of a lot of the anguish, a lot of the bitterness in this dorm, in this uh, Christian dorm. So after six months, I'm there. Then I go to a faith-based prison. The whole prison is faith-based. And while I'm there, I ended up getting a job in the chapel from the street to the chapel in, in, in prison. So while I'm there, God put me up under a chaplain who, he does a class called Holy Spirit 101. And you just usher into the presence of God. Cause I didn't really know a lot, you know? I'm just learning how to walk with him. And I'm, I'm confused about a lot of things, you know, because at this time, you know, I, I, I'm learning that God loves me, but if he loved me, why he let all that stuff happen to me? So it was kind of difficult for me to embrace the love of God. While I was at this faith-based prison, they had something called Kairos. It comes into the prisons. It's all over where they go into different prisons and they teach you about the love of God. And while I'm in Kairos, it's like I receive something that is like indescribable. Not only do I understand the love of God, but then I learn to love myself. It's just like, wow, in prison, you're, you're going through all these different experiences. So now that I'm in this prison and I'm learning to walk with God, there is something that after you've done so much time, they allow you to go to work release. I love God, but I also know how to use my hands to work. I don't want to go to work release. And I was talking to a young lady and she said, I'm going to work release. And I was like, I don't need to go to work release. Screep mentality still there. I can work, you know. And I never forget. I got back to the dorm. And when I sat on the dorm, on the bed in the dorm, this is where they do count time, counting all the inmates. And I heard the voice of God say, you didn't ask me. And the tears just begin to run down my face because you can't tell me I ain't on fire for God. <laughs> so the tears begin to run down my face. And I've, I've walked with him enough to know he's fit to orchestrate some events yet again. Make a long story short, I ended up going to work release. Work release was a place that broke me because this is a place where God taught me, you're going to respect authority. You didn't respect your mom because of what she did to you, but the authority that I put in place is there, you know? There was this guard there, and she used to just get under my skin. I knew how to use my hands to fight on the street. I was a fighter. But I did not know how to pray through situations. And Veronica, for people who may not know, mm -hmm. can you just describe what work release is? Work release is an opportunity for inmates who are actually in the penal system or in prison, but we're given the opportunity to go to work release and save money for when we are actually released from prison. So it's all over the world, you know, all over prison systems have what they call work lease, but it's a privilege, it's not a right. Mm. So you, you have to have good behavior, you have to abide by the rules or they will send you back to prison. And prison is basically you're just doing time and when you get out, you get out. And There's no is, advantages. And this is outside of the prison or within the prison? No, it's outside of the prison. Okay, so you're working, saving up money for when you're released. When you're released. So yeah. you can have a new beginning. So it was actually a, a, a benefit. And I see now, you know, hindsight, why God actually sent me to work release. Right. And and now that I'm there, God took me through that, that experience of learning how to respect authority. Hmm. 
And it was like, she just kept coming for me. Like, I'm like, oh boy, you know, and I'm and my flesh is starting to rise up because I want to fight. And she says, um, you ain't, you, you're nothing but a holy roller. That's what she said. I said, well, I've been called worse. You know, my flesh is starting to rise up. But I realized I need God for this one. And I asked her, could I go to the bathroom? And I said, I need to go to the bathroom because you have to ask for permission, you know. That's the part of prison. It, it actually humiliates you so you learn how to be humble, so you know how to, you know, respect those that are in society. Mm. So when I got to the bathroom, I cried out to God. And I told God, I said, all I know is fighting. I said, all I know is how to survive. I said, but I need help. I need help with humbling myself. I said, because I want to fight her, you know? I'm like, I'm crying out to God. And this was something that radically changed me because I had never used prayer as a way to deal with my flesh, per se. When I got back to the, my work assignment, which was the, the kitchen, I was in there, and she still kept coming. But I noticed my attitude was different. I, I, kept, I started respecting everything she would say. I would say, yes, ma'am. And then I seen her started to, you know, she's starting to f f deflate a little bit, you know? So then I say, oh, my God, I'm winning. And after everything was over, I got I, I got off. I did not disrespect. I didn't have to go back to prison. I wasn't disrespectful. And I, I looked up at, at the sky and I said, God, we did it. So that was my first battle that I won through prayer. You can tell me I wasn't a champ. So I was like, okay, I can get through the rest of this because work release is very difficult. It's not a very easy experience because the guards there know this is a privilege. And so they kind of put the pressure on you. And that's what God did. He sent me to work release so the pressure couldn't be put on me so I could be broken from being built in the street because I was built in the street, you know, left, leaving home at such an early age. So now I get out of work release and I am walking with God. I am on fire for Jesus. I don't want to go to just any church. He told me I didn't ask him about work lease. I should need to ask him about the church I need to attend now that I'm out. And I did that. And I'm at that church now. I'm a deaconess in that church. I go back to the same prison that I did time at now and minister. The young lady that bullied me when I was in, in middle school, I'm ministering to her now. Wow. <laughs> I am going into rehabs, and I just got another door open. I love Jesus. I love him because I wasn't looking for him. He found me on a trash pile of life, mm. in a confinement cell, hopeless. And if he had not met me in that confinement cell, I would probably have gotten out and done what was familiar. Probably would not be alive, probably wouldn't be sharing my testimony. But God had a plan for this broken young lady. Now, what I did learn through my whole experience and where I am today is that it's a process. When I got out, I got in some relationships that I should not have been in. But like I prayed on that child line about dealing with my flesh and not acting out aggressively. I prayed and I asked God to get me out of those relationships, show me my weaknesses, God. And guess what? He sanctified me mm. and he purified me and I learned how to walk without being in sin. Because when you're in prison, it's easy to say what you're not going to do when you get out till you right. test it with it. Mm. So I was tested in a lot of areas, but I'm victorious in Christ. Come on. And I will share 
When I was going through a relationship after having gotten out of prison, knowing that God, God had already spoke to me and told me, you know, prison, I heard it in my spirit, prison. But I liked this guy, he interesting, you know? But he wasn't talking about physical prison this time. He was talking about spiritual prison. I had never been there. So I was bound again. And it was through lust, through not dealing with some things that I should have dealt with. And I will never forget, I was at a street and I heard the Spirit of God say, why are you living a defeated Christian life? And defeating Christian don't go together. You know, I knew that. But then I cried out to God again, like I cried out to God and I asked him if he would help me forgive my mom. I said, God, if you would help me to deal with my flesh in this area, I surrender, and I surrender. And, and the guy that I was dating at the time, he called me a hypocrite. He said, you ain't nothing but a hypocrite. And I said, you know what, you're right, because truth is truth, you know. I said, you're right. I said, but one of these days, I'm going to get up, and I'm not going to look back at you. And I broke it off with him. I stuck to my guns. It was difficult. Yeah. But I never forget, I talked to him after the breakup and everything, and it was such a, it was like a vindication almost. He said, when I broke up with him, that people would ask him, say, why did you break up? He said, because she snaps and she's not, she, you know, she's crazy. And then he, he told me, he said, someone else asked him, he said, no, she sold out to God. I was like, thank you, Jesus, you know, because that's what it was. I sold out. I, I could have stayed in a relationship. I just knew that he had more for me. And I knew that I couldn't be on the platforms that I'm on, or I couldn't do what I'm doing for the kingdom of God now, living that kind of way. And, and, and because of it, I'm able to share with other women. I understand. It's a struggle, but if you would surrender, he, he would do for you what you can't do for yourself. So, you know, that's my testimony. Amen. <laughs> Veronica, what, just to clarify, but and it's a little bit of redundant, but were you able to forgive your mother? I not only forgave her, I love her. Hmm. Listen, I talk to her every day now. Wow. She, I'm not going to say she's my best friend, but I actually minister to my mom. She has a respect for me. Hmm. I hear her say, she says, you know what? I don't care what nobody say. I know you say. Wow. And, and no, my mom knows me. It's almost like. Even though she hurt me, I still love her because she was my mom. But it was the unforgiveness in me that kept the residuals going. Like it had that nasty, disrespectful attitude. I didn't honor her. Like, you know, the Bible tells me, honor your mother. Yeah. I honor her now. She's my mom. And like my events, she comes to my events and I share. You know, sometimes I have to be honest because of the abuse. It's kind of difficult because I don't want to hurt her. Right. You know, so, but I, I am, I'm very careful with, and the Holy Spirit is very careful with how we say things because at the end of the day, she's my sister in the Lord, right. but my testimony is my testimony and that's what I've been through and that's what God delivered me from. So I have to share. So your mom gave her, her life to Jesus as well? Yes. Yes. Wow. Yes. And actually led my brother who died to the Lord before he died. Wow. You know, so it's a lot of red, red, uh, redemption, yeah. you know, a lot of forgiveness. Amen. What's your relationship with your three children today? <sighs> That's amazing. So when I was released, one of the things that I share with my kids is I never gave them a voice because it's almost like you repeat what you were reared in. So I would tell my children, it's what I say. Mm. 
You do as I say and not as I do. Now that I'm in the Lord, we lead by example. My, my oldest daughter, we have a good relationship. I actually have the grandkids now. Uh-huh. And she's the one that I was in my addiction with. And I do see similar patterns and I'm praying. You know, I, I minister to her. Um, my son, he was living with his father when I went into prison. Right. And when I got out of prison, I asked him to come and live with me. And he was so familiar with living with his father, he says, I'm gonna stay with you, but I'm going back when I finish high school. I prayed and I asked God, I says, God, show him that being here is better than there. And one time we was on our way coming back from visiting his father. And he says, I don't see how I ever wanted to come back to where his father was. My son is in the U.S. Navy today. Wow. He has one year left. My um, my baby, the one that I actually went back into addiction, she, she's, you know, she's amazing. She's graduating this year. She was the one that was in that backseat of the car that I looked in her eyes. I had to walk away. So I realized that there's some abandonment, rejection issues with her. But sometimes I just look at her and I tell her, I said, baby, mama's so sorry. And she'll look at me. She'll say, mommy, you don't have to apologize. I know where you are. I know where you are. And she's following Jesus. She she tells me what she reads in the word of God and dealing with anger. Because, you know, me leaving her, there's some anger there, you know. Yeah. And so she tells me that God says to forgive, you know. And so she says that she's forgiving me. So I have a good relationship with all of them. My my best thing is, listen, just get on fire for God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Glory to God. Veronica, who is Jesus to you? Oh, wow. Jesus, he's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my redeeming King. He's my best friend. He's everything. Without Jesus, I wouldn't be here. And that's for real. You know, I just shared my testimony at my church in front of so many people. And I say, you know, a lot of people say, do you think he got out of the tomb? I say, I know he got out of the tomb because he got me out of my tomb. Mm. That's where I was at. I was in the graveyard of life, hopeless, bitter. Didn't think this could ever be possible. You know, just didn't think. And I'm so at peace, because, but I know he's in my heart. Jesus is peace, so he is my peace. Veronica, for people who are finding themselves in those cycles that you found yourself in, in drug mm-hmm. addiction, mm-hmm. you know, even abandoning your children, right? Mm-hmm. For the people who are watching who may be struggling in that area, mm-hmm. what's a word of encouragement that you can give them? Don't give up. No matter where you're at in life, don't give up. Believe that God can and he will. Just surrender your life to him and he will step in. No matter what you've done, no matter who you've done it to, forgive yourself and believe that God can give you another chance, not a second chance, but another chance. And know that God says, if you would cast all your cares upon me, for I care for you, and he loves us so much, and just believe that God will give you another chance at life and just wait on him to do it. For people who are dealing with that unforgiveness, Mm. which we know this is something that plagues a lot of people Mm -hmm. in and out of church, Mm -hmm. what's a word of encouragement that you can give them to help them 
through releasing that unforgiveness? Don't do it. Try to do it yourself. It's a miracle. It happens on the inside through the power of the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to help you. Because when you're dealing with your flesh, sometimes we always say, I can forgive, but I can't forget. We're holding on to those things. When we ask God to help us, not only do He help you to forgive, but He helps you to those, those painful memories. He erases any residue with it. So it's a total deliverance and a total healing, but you must and you have to ask him to help you to forgive. Veronica, for the people that you have hurt Mm -hmm. in the past, Mm -hmm. uh, what can you tell them if if they happen to be watching right Mm now? Please forgive me. I was under the influence of pain myself. And by not forgiving me, if you choose not to, the Bible says that if you don't forgive, neither can he forgive you. But know that I love you and I apologize for anything and everything I've done. And just trust that the Savior that helped me, he can help you to forgive me. You don't have to live with the residue of what I've done like I did so many years, and you don't have to stay in bondage. You can choose to forgive, and I pray that you will forgive me. Veronica, any last words for people who are watching your testimony right now? As an evangelist, God says he come to seek and to save those that are lost. If you're listening and you have an ear to hear and a heart to know that what I'm telling you is the truth. Just give Jesus your life. Just cry out to him and he will meet you right where you are. And believe, the Bible says, everything is possible to him who believes. Just believe that he will do it. He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. In that confinement cell, I met Jesus. And I am not the same person that went in that confinement cell. So I believe that the same God that delivered me is able to meet you right where you're at. Lastly, Veronica, uh, for those people who are uh, watching right now on the other side of the screen and are wanting to receive, you know, what you've received, could you just pray for them? Most gracious Heavenly Father, Father God, you know every person that will watch this video. Lord, you already know what they're going through. You already know what they've been through. And God, I know that as you spoke to me in that cell, I know your voice. You said to me, forgive your mom. Lord, I pray for each and every individual now that you would touch them right where their level of pain is, God. Every hindrance, every hurt, every hang up, God. I'm asking you to set them free, God, from those things that are trying to hold them captive from the liberty that they can have in you. Father God, I just ask you, Lord God, to help them to know and to believe that you are able to set them free because you came for the captives. So, Father God, I thank you for each and every person that will view, Lord God, and I pray, Lord God, that they will have an encounter with you because the encounter that I had with you, it has forever changed my life. And I know that one touch from you, Lord God, will change theirs. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.